This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. As Pastor Alex said, today is the beginning of Holy Week, which is uh, when the church recognizes the most sacred week in the year. Because Holy Week are the seven days that change the world. It begins with Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, which fulfilled an old prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. But on Holy Monday, he walked into the Jerusalem temple, overturning the tables where Roman drachmas were being exchanged for Jewish shekels. And the problem was that the Roman coins were not allowed because the image of Caesar was a violation of the second commandment. And then on Holy Tuesday... Jesus taught in parables. He warned the people against the Pharisees and predicted the destruction of the temple. Uh, This is sometimes called Fig Tuesday, believe it or not, because that's also the day that Jesus cursed the fig tree. And then the fourth day, Wednesday, is sometimes called Spy Wednesday because it's the day that Judas arranged for the betrayal of Jesus. Judas was a a spy among the disciples. Holy Thursday, sometimes called Monday Thursday, because Monday literally means foot washing ceremony. And it's the day Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. It was also on that day that Jesus met with the disciples in an upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. But Jesus gave Passover a whole new meaning. No longer were his followers to remember the exodus from Egypt when they broke bread. No, from now on, they would remember his broken body, his shed blood. By the way, it's also on Thursday, later later on that evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus agonized in prayer before being betrayed and arrested and imprisoned, deserted and denied. And then on Good Friday, the sixth day, Jesus endured false trials beatings, sentencing before carrying his own cross to the place of the skull where he was crucified with two other prisoners. Finally, on Black Saturday, Jesus lay dead in a tomb bought by a rich man named Joseph. Now, for those of you who may not know, in Bible times, these seven days were called Passover, as they still are by the Jews. Today, however... Christians around the world know these seven days as Holy Week, the passion of Christ. As I was preparing today's message, my mind went back to a great sermon by Tony Campolo that I heard when I was a new Christian. The sermon was called, It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. And in this classic sermon, Dr. Campolo told the story of a little preaching competition that he had with his pastor during services at the church where he attended. And so Dr. Campolo told how he preached the perfect sermon. Perfect in every way. He had taken the congregation to the heights of glory and the depths of despair. And as he sat down beside his pastor, Dr. Campolo reached over, patted him on the knee, and simply said, okay. Top that. And as the older black pastor stood up, he looked at him and said, My boy, watch the master. 
And so he began. And it was just a simple sermon starting softly, building in volume and intensity until the entire congregation was completely involved, repeating phrases in unison. See, the sermon went something like this. It's Friday. Jesus is arrested in the garden where he was praying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are hiding. And Peter's denying that he knows the Lord. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is beaten, mocked, and spit upon. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Those Roman soldiers are flogging our Lord, and they pressed down the crown of thorns into his brow. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See him walking up to Calvary, the blood dripping from his body. See the cross crashing down on his back as he stumbled on the, beneath the load. It's Friday. But Sunday is coming. You see, it's, it's, it's Friday, but those Roman soldiers are driving the nails into his feet and his hands. And hear my Jesus, my Lord cry, Father, forgive them. It's Friday. But Sunday is coming. It's Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's bloody. He's dying. But Sunday is coming. Jesus, it's Friday, but Jesus is crucified on the cross. Heaven is weeping. Hell is partying. But that's because it's Friday. And they don't know it, but Sundays are coming. And by the end of the message, man, the old preacher, he was simply calling out, It's Friday! And the whole congregation was responding, But Sunday's coming! And that would certainly be a great sermon if this was Good Friday. But it's not. No, today is Palm Sunday. We read about it in the 11th chapter of Mark's gospel where it says this, And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road. And others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So the message for today is exactly the opposite of Good Friday. The message for today is, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. Yeah, all the people were waving palms, and they were throwing their cloaks and their coats and their wraps and their Ralph Lauren sweaters in the pathway before Christ. People were cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds ran to the palm trees, and they cut branches from them and laid them before Jesus as he approached on the foal of a donkey. Yay, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Yay, Jesus, we saw you raise the dead. Yay, Jesus, you've come to save us. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But that was Sunday. Friday was coming. For you see, on Friday, that same group, the very same group, would stand and scream, Crucify him! Crucify him! That same group of people that yelled Hosanna would five days later scream out for his blood. They would shout and yell that he be nailed to a cross. Does that surprise you? 
Does it shock you? If you were a disciple like Peter, James, John, or the other nine, wouldn't you be surprised, possibly even shocked, certainly dismayed, and definitely discouraged? Well, you know what? They shouldn't have been. And neither should we, because Jesus had warned them. Mark recorded it in his chapter 4 of his gospel. Jesus was teaching his disciples through parables, picture stories. And he said this. He said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, Jesus was warning them. He was warning them it was going to be this way. He told them who he was. He revealed that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. He cast out the seed that said that Messiah had come, and he even did some miracles to prove it. But some people were like the hard ground on the pathway in the garden. They were so hard, so calloused, so bitter to the truth that it would just bounce off of them. The seed would lay on the surface, just waiting for Satan to sweep in and do everything he could to steal it before it ever germinated, before it took root and grew. And in the form of the crowd that formed around Jesus' triumphal entry, also there were some Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees. And they looked at what's going on, and then they weaseled their way up to Jesus and said, Teacher, get your disciples under control. Oh, how these men hated Jesus. Because they knew if he continued to live, he would bring the powers of Rome down on their heads. And if that happened, their comfortable lifestyle and their power and their prestige would all be gone. You can almost hear Satan whispering in their ears with his venomous, sulfuric-scented voice. It's Sunday, but Friday's coming. But there was another group who stood on Palm Sunday shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and these were the ones that had watched and listened to Jesus. Some were even there when he, Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb when the stone was rolled away and the dead man came forth in his grave clothes. They may have witnessed him making dinner for everyone out of five loaves and three fish. A few may have even been to the wedding where he turned the water into wine. And they were shouting with great fervency, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These people, however, were like the seeds that fell among the rocks. They sprouted quickly. They saw a miracle here. They saw a miracle there. And they believed, hey, this is what the ministry of Jesus is all about. They were quick to jump on the bandwagon. But once the heat of the hot sun, you know, which is the pressure of the Pharisees, once that came upon them, they withered. And you can be sure those religious leaders 
pressed hard upon their congregations. They lobbied and cajoled and threatened those that they were pastoring. Yeah, on Sunday, these folks shouted for Jesus, the king. And then on Friday, they shouted for him to be crucified. I can almost hear the Pharisees saying to their congregations, yes, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. On Friday, you will not scream out Hosanna. On Friday, you will not throw your coats at his feet. On Friday, you will scream, crucify him. And they're going to rip his coat from his bloody back, and they're going to cast lots to see who gets it. Oh, it's Sunday now, church. Jesus' followers. But on Friday, you're going to do our bidding. Oh, it's Sunday now. But Friday's coming. And there was a third group that was mixed into that crowd, too. They ran to the streets, stripping off their coats and grabbing palms and throwing them at Jesus' feet. But they were like the seeds that fell among the thorns. The thorns... You know what that is? That's the pressures of life. The thorns grew up and choked them out. On Sunday, they yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is you, come in the name of the Lord. But that was Sunday. For you see, on Monday, the bills for the new Passover outfits for the kids and that great new bonnet for mom, the bills came in the mail. And, whoa, how are we going to pay all these bills and the mortgage? And still buy food. And then on Tuesday, a Pharisee priest, see, he stopped by and said, if you continue following this Jesus, I'm afraid we're going to have to excommunicate you. And you're going to be shunned by the beloved fellowship. You're going to have no friends. You'll have no center for your spiritual or social lives. You're going to be like outcasts. On Wednesday, as the family walked through the marketplace to get the supplies they needed, For the Passover meal, they were ridiculed. They were mocked. They were called Jesus freaks. They were called fanatics. And people wouldn't even wait on them. And finally, by Thursday, when the good lady's husband came home early from work and said he'd lost his job because his wife was at the Palm Sunday rally, yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. This lady lost her cool. She couldn't take the pressure anymore. She was distraught. And by the time Friday came, she was at the front of the crowd, teaching her children a whole new phrase. Instead of Hosanna, she was now yelling, Crucify him! Crucify him! Can't you almost hear the community leaders whispering behind the cheering crowds as Jesus rode down the street on the back of a donkey? Yes, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. And finally, there were people in the crowd that heard the word, and it transformed their lives. It not only transformed their lives on Sunday, when they sincerely yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna. It also transformed their lives on Monday and on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. You see, they saw hope. They saw a future. They found relief. They found salvation in this man who was the Messiah. But then on Friday, 
They saw him judged and tried before Pontius Pilate. On Friday, they saw soldiers beat him with a whip and press a crown of thorns into his head until blood rolled like tiny rivers down his face. On Friday, they saw him carry his heavy cross through town and up a hill known as Golgotha or the Skull. On Friday, they saw soldiers rip his bloody garment from his body, cast lots for it. On Friday, they watched as he was nailed to a cross. And on Friday, they watched him die a cruel, horrific death. On Friday, their lives were ruined. On Friday, their faith was stripped away from them. On Friday, their faith and their trust and their belief was rocked as they watched him be placed into a tomb. And on Friday, they wept great bitter tears as the stone was rolled in front of it. Yes, they were crushed on Friday. All hope was lost on Friday. Everything they shouted on Palm Sunday was true, but now their faith was pierced by the three nails. Their faith was dashed on the sharp edges of his stony grave. For you see... On Palm Sunday, they believed he was the Lord. On Palm Sunday, they believed he came in the name of the Lord. On Palm Sunday, they believed he was the Messiah. On Palm Sunday, they believed everything they yelled as they cast the palms at his feet. And on Palm Sunday, they believed all, all of it, as they stripped off their coats, threw them down for him to walk on. But that was Sunday. And now Friday had come. And on Friday, it seemed as if everything had ended. All hope was lost. And so they stood around in dark rooms and hidden alleys, talking and listening to one another ask, Were you there? When they crucified my Lord? Another one would ask, Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Someone else, through tear stained eyes and, and face and a voice, would say, Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? And you know, this question has been asked throughout the ages, and every generation has come up with its own answer. And it's a question you and I must answer as well. Were were we there? Were, Were we there when they crucified our Lord? Oh, we know the original cast that was there that day. I mean, they're listed in the 18th and 19th chapters of John's Gospel. For example, Judas Iscariot was there. There's no doubt that he was instrumental in the crucifying 
of Christ. John tells us that Judas guided this detachment of soldiers along with some chief priests and Pharisees to the garden where Jesus went to pray. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons, and Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And even worse, he betrayed him with a kiss. So, was it greed that led Judas to such a desperate act? Perhaps. Greed is certainly a powerful motivator. But listen, 30 pieces of silver wasn't a lot of money. You know, it's possible he had another motive. It's possible Jesus was trying to, or excuse me, that Judas was trying to force Jesus to take over as the king. He may have been trying to hurry the coming of a kingdom in which he, Judas, would be part of the inner circle, a kingdom in which he would have a high office. And unfortunately, this is the result of excessive ambition. It's happened before, and it's going to happen again. Because the sad fact is betrayal happens. It happens in organizations. It happens in families, happens in business, happens in churches. And by the way, you remember how it ended for Judas, don't you? When it was all over, he went out and hanged himself. I don't guess that should be too surprising. I mean, after all, what sin is more grievous than betraying a friend? Yeah, Judas was there when they crucified our Lord. And Simon Peter was there as well. In fact, when the soldiers came to take Jesus, Peter tried to defend him with his sword. He struck the high priest's servant's ear, and a man named Malchus cut off his right ear. And when he did, Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? And then when Jesus was arrested, Peter followed the soldiers, and the master at a distance. And before the cock crowed, Peter denied his Lord three times. So where was Peter when the crosses were being raised on Golgotha? Nobody knew. Peter was nowhere in sight. He was hiding. But Peter was there just as surely as Judas was there. And I don't know about you, but it seems, it almost seems impossible that Peter <laughs> would be the one to so disappoint the master. I mean, Peter was present at every single miracle that Jesus performed. Every time he spoke a parable, every time he communed with God, Peter was there. And when Jesus walked on the water, it was Simon Peter who tried to duplicate that feat but faltered, had to be rescued by Christ. It was Peter who was there with James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was revealed once and for all as the chosen one of God. How is it possible that Peter could deny he ever knew him? But he did. Simon Peter's sin came about in a moment of weakness when he was under intense stress. You see, he was weak the way you and I are sometimes weak. It's not that we go out seeking to do wrong. No, no. It's just that when the temptation comes, we're just simply too weak to resist it. Oh, we hate to admit it, but we are weak. 
You know, when I was growing up, Superman, he was the big hero, man. I mean, in comic books and on TV, Superman was super strong. Oh, he disguised himself as mild-mannered Clark Kent. But his vulnerability was just an act. Underneath <laughs> was the man who was stronger than a locomotive. Superman came to help people who were weak and needy. He himself was never afraid, never confused. Even though he'd lost both of his biological parents and the planet that he called home, Superman never joined a 12-step recovery group. Even though he was always alone, he never joined a Lonely Hearts Club. He never got into therapy, even though he wore blue tights and a cape beneath his regular clothes. <laughs> Superman didn't know what it was like to be weak. But Superman was a fictional character. Clark Kent, his alter ego, fooled people into thinking he was a normal man, but his vulnerability, that was just an act. Underneath was the man of steel. But real people, we try to be Superman on the outside, showing no vulnerability, but underneath, we're really just a weak and sometimes confused Clark Kent. And so it was with Peter. In spite of all his bluster, he was a weak man. And he was there when they crucified our Lord. Pontius Pilate was also there. It's interesting to me that Pilate did not want to be responsible for Christ's death. I mean, he tried to avoid sentencing Jesus to death. How did he do it? He offered the crowd a choice. Barabbas or Jesus? See, Barabbas, he was some small-time insurrectionist who plotted against the government. He was probably pretty popular with the people because of his opposition to Roman rule. So what did the crowd do? They chose to pardon Barabbas and execute Jesus. And that's when Pilate washes his hands of the whole thing, washes his hands of the chance to do the right thing. He washes his hands of the true Son of God, although deep in his heart he knew that Jesus was who he said he was. Pontius Pilate, he was there when they crucified our Lord. Now there's someone else that was there that you may not have thought about. He was there when they crucified the Master. Nicodemus. You, you remember Nicodemus? He was a prominent Pharisee who came to Jesus at night, entered into this deep theological discussion with Jesus on matters such as the kingdom of God and God sending his son into the world to save humanity from his evil ways. It was Nicodemus who first heard Jesus say the words, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I find it, I find it encouraging that Nicodemus was there when they crucified our Lord. And we don't have time to tell all the stories. But there were many others there when Christ was crucified. Herod, the despicable monarch, he was there. So were the soldiers who gambled for Christ's garments while he hung on the cross. And the thieves who died on either side of him. And the women, including his mother, who wept at the foot of the cross. John, he was the only disciple who was physically there when Jesus died. And Jesus gave him the assignment of caring for his mother. 
And there's other minor characters, you know, that were there, like uh, the mob that yelled crucify him, you know, ignorant people who so were so stirred by hatred. They were, they were stirred by these molders of public opinion, had their own selfish agenda. These people are still around today, by the way, crucifying Christ time after time after time with their anger and their hatred, their greed. So the question for us today, of course, is were we there when they crucified our Lord? And the answer is yes. We were there, just as all humanity was there. Anyone who's ever been cowardly and given into the crowd, anyone who has ever kept silent in the face of bigotry and persecution, anyone who's ever been weak when you know you should have been strong, we were all there encouraging the most tragic crime in history. You may remember when the actor Mel Gibson produced the film, The Passion of the Christ. And in the film, Gibson makes the point that all of us were there when Christ was crucified. He made the point that none is exempt. Gibson, the actor, does not appear in the film, but his hand does. At the crucifixion, it's his hand that holds the nail to be driven into the hand of Christ, and his hand that holds the hammer that drives it in. And the message is pretty clear. It's my sin that nailed him to the cross. And friends, listen. He was nailed to the cross. Jesus was crucified. Yes, that was Friday. And on Friday, it seemed as if it was finished. All hope was lost. But then, like the soft wind... Or, or, or maybe a gentle breeze. I don't know, but, but a voice spoke. It may have been somewhere from the sky, maybe from the corner, maybe from within. But it was a voice. It was a voice that was powerful and soothing. It was as if the voice of God whispered, It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. Praise the Lord. We were all there. Personally, of all the characters that were there, I identify most closely with Nicodemus. As I already said, Jesus told Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That was all said to Nicodemus. But you see, I too, I was just like Nicodemus. I was seeking truth. And when I read Jesus' words to Nicodemus that are found in John 3, I believed them. 
I believed them. And I realized that it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. He died that I might have eternal life. And so I cried out to him. I said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he did. As I willingly gave up my old life, he gave me a new one that will last forever. And now I'm living each day for him. And you were there too. Jesus died to give you new life too. So let me ask you, do you need to make a first-time commitment to following Christ? Or, or, or have you already accepted Christ and you're ready, like I am, to make a fresh commitment to following him? Whatever your situation may be, I'm asking you to stand with me. Will you do that? Whatever it is, just stand with me. And now, forgetting the people who are around you, will you join me in praying this prayer? Just put this up here. Will you pray it with me? Jesus, thank you for sacrificing yourself to pay for my sin. I'm, where's the rest of it? There's no more? Okay. Not coming up? Repeat after me then. I now pledge to love, to serve, and follow you today, tomorrow, and forever. Lord, do with me as you please. Amen. Listen, church, the people were shouting Hosanna, which means save us. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, he has saved you. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's an old song that says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And so now, as you go through this holy week that begins today, I hope you will take time each day to reflect on the exorbitant price that was paid to save you from your sin. Oh, church, may we never stop thanking and praising our Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.